0: If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where I talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. I am your host, Brad Burke, coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, a very hot, very humid Chicago, Illinois, basking in the reflected glow of of the U.S. Women's National Team's victory. Thanks to all who tuned in to my, my throwback show heading into the finals last week uh, where you know, we kind of revisited some interviews we had done with Megan Rapino on her love of fashion with Becky Sauerbrunn, two-time guest. We threw it back to her first appearance where she talked about her love of sci-fi, books, movies, all that stuff. So fun to revisit those memories. Uh, really looking forward to having more of the U.S. team come back to the show. Uh, I've really enjoyed my conversations with them. We watched the finals in my house, decked out, wearing, uh, wearing the throwback to the red, white, and blue popsicle-style jerseys from a few cycles ago. I've talked about this before. I, I, kudos to Nike for finally selling the women's jerseys in men's sizes actually this is an embarrassing confession a few years ago the men in blazers did a blazer con and they did a panel with the players katie nolan hosted it and they were flipping it over to questions from the audience but they didn't have a mic for the audience so everyone's just kind of sitting there katie was sitting there so i just raised my hand and she said sure go ahead and i just stood up and i go i don't really have a question (laughs) but if you ever meet with nike tell them to start making your jerseys in men's sizes And I immediately was like, why why am I saying this to this room full of people? But huge cheers erupted. Everyone's like super pumped up about it because for a long time, fans of the sport have been wanting the gear. Anyway, that was last week. Congratulations to the world champions. This is this week. And for this interview, we're going back to a galaxy far, far away a long, long time ago. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Star Wars. And we're going to be speaking Star Wars with June Lee. June is a staff writer for ESPN. Does great work over there. Recently made a move from Bleacher Report. You probably remember his work at at Bleacher Report. June is a really interesting follow on Twitter. Really someone who exudes a lot of passion, a lot of personality. And we started talking about what he wanted to talk about, and he said, "Look, I'm a fan of a lot of stuff. I I, I get into stuff. I like pop culture. I've got a positive attitude about it. And ultimately, we settled on Star Wars. Now." as as chronicled in uh, in this show previously i was a star wars kid growing up somewhere among the super fan set although not all the way into like expanded universe books i just kind of like rode hard for the original trilogy we we had a vhs tape that a, a friend of the family gave us that had all three movies on one cassette you could just pop in new hope and like Seven hours later, uh, I don't know I don't know how this thing worked. It was like a magic VHS. It must have been like set on some sort of slow play, but that got a lot of run in my house. We watched Star Wars all the time. so and it was interesting to talk to june who who came to the movies when there were six movies around <laughs> and all the re-releases and all that other stuff and and how the difference in fandom that develops when you're coming in fresh from a different perspective from a different era. Uh, to this kind of uh, storytelling versus myself who grew up with the three and therefore kind of went down the familiar road of of people my age where the prequels come out and you're just like eh. whereas June's like no prequels were cool like I went to see them in the theater I was a kid they were interesting sure they have an age they're like great but I, I don't have the, the the sort of angst about them that that you might expect and and I thought it was really a good interview to get someone else's perspective on on how they found the you know how they found this universe, what they like about the storytelling, favorite moments, and then we get into the merch. June is a uh, burgeoning collector of Star Wars memorabilia, so it was fun to talk about what items is he interested in. Like, is he a completist? Is he more of a, a style over um, over volume type of collector, and and what's his ambition for for growing that out and building that out? So get your lightsabers ready, get your popcorn ready. We're talking Star Wars and then stick around after the interview. I will be back to distract you. I'm really fascinated by the topic. I'm a Star Wars guy, uh, you know, from when I grew up. You know, I graduated school in the early 2000s. Um, I'm of a different generation. Were you in- introduced to Star Wars through the prequels first by any chance?
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, so I was born in 1995, so I'm, I'm kind of on the border of the Gen Z millennial. Right. And uh, I, I first got into Star Wars because my mom rented the VHSs from the library. So yep. I think the first one I actually watched ever was Empire Strikes Back. I, you know, my mom's not a big Star Wars fan, but she, you know, I would, I, I think the prequels were coming out. And so I started asking about it. And so, you know, to kind of, me up on movie history we went to the library locally and just got the vhs and i watched it and i just remember being fascinated by the whole thing uh, right. and just the scale and the story and you know all of it and so I mean, for me star wars is kind of the starting point of, of why i fell in love with movies in the first place like I, hmm. I took a lot of film classes in college and it really got me just fascinated with you know how are these things made uh what what are what, you know, all the props all the costumes uh the production. Um, you know, the development process, like it really got me interested into kind of the making of a movie, uh, just because there's, there's so many crazy elements of a Star Wars movie. Uh, and so I think kind of the, the combination of just like the, the grandness of the storytelling and, you know, the lightsabers and the action figures. Like I remember as a kid growing up, uh, I used to just have a ton of action figures and, you know, you bring them over to one of my friend's houses and we create like clone wars, uh, against <laughs> each other. we have like, well, we have like Qui-Gon Jinn fighting against like, you know, Ben Kenobi from the from the originals. Right. We like, you know we just, you know, have fun and throw around. And you know, you I think everyone pretends to do lightsaber duels on the playground at some point in their life. Yep. Um, so it's, you know, it's a combination of all those things. And of course the prequels kind of just uh propelled that just because, you know, those are the first ones I saw in theaters. Uh, I think um I think I saw Attack of the Clones was the first one I saw in theaters. It was uh I, I won with my uh my friends for their birthday. Uh and huh. uh, you know, I was in like second grade, so it was just like a you know, a bunch of lights and guns and stuff. And so I had a good time. Um, But uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where it all started, I guess.
0: That's fascinating to me in that, you know, as someone who I was like high school age when the prequels came out and I had grown up in the eighties, early nineties with like, you know, them on VHS. I remember going to like the re-releases in 97, um, you know, when they put the, the movie, the originals back in theaters with like the changes Lucas made but mm-hmm. I never, I was too old. Like, the prequels were just sort of a cranky experience. And I've softened on that as I've gotten older and less precious about fandom. And as we've seen the toxic types of fandom now that, um, that I think are counterproductive. Yet, just the idea of kids, like, playing Attack of the Clones seems so foreign to me just because of the age gap. And yet I find it, I, I, you're right, like, that movie would be just a blast if you were young. Like, kind of give us a sense, if you don't mind, of of how you sort of order and rank like the, the the films and and, and do they end up kind of grouping together as clusters or, or not?
1: Um, I think the prequels actually generally cluster towards the bottom, uh, just because like as, as like an adult now and watching them as like movies and like wanting the story out of them, like (laughs) I'm not the biggest fan of the story, but like I, I love kind of the vision of the prequels. It's just like, I'm not the biggest fan of the execution, you know, as an adult now. Um, I I personally love the sequel trilogy, um, and uh-huh. I'm so interested to see how it's going to you know end up uh, with the rise of Skywalker. But I don't know. I I, uh, I feel like I personally don't I have a nostalgia towards the originals just because like they're the originals. But I don't hold them as preciously as I think a lot of the you know the older fans do. Just because like for me, I like as I've become an adult, I've just had nine Star Wars films. Right. Right. Like I'm 20 24 years old. And at this point in like the Star Wars fandom of a lot of people, like they only had three films and that was the case for an extremely long time. And I was, I've been fortunate enough to grow up in a time where I've had the opportunity to not only see, you know, potentially nine Star Wars, you know, saga films, but I have, you know, rogue one and solo and everything else that's going to come afterwards. So um, I don't know. I, I just kind of, I don't really think too hard about it and the ones <laughs> that I enjoy, I enjoy and like the rankings change all the time.
0: Right. I think I saw on Twitter you'd said Last Jedi was your second favorite at, at one point. Um, I'm a I'm a fan of Last Jedi. I, I really liked where it was going, kind of what it was aiming sure. for, and a lot of the set pieces are utterly spectacular. So what what was your takeaway from that film, and and how does it inform what you're looking forward to with the with, with the conclusion of this trilogy?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I loved Last Jedi just because I I love the storytelling of it. Uh, I think just the way that Ryan Johnson was able to weave three plots together to kind of culminate in in one kind of grand finale and just the visuals of the whole thing were beautiful. Um, And and for me, like I I think a lot of the backlash to that movie is going to end up kind of disappearing as the film gets older. And as we actually conclude this trilogy, um, it's such a, like the cultural just kind of discussion around the last Jedi has been so interesting just because like, I feel like it's a very generational discussion, at least from my vantage point, because everyone that I've talked to who like really, really hates uh, the last Jedi, you know, kind of held, held onto a very singular, s- a strong vision of Luke Skywalker. Right. Um, that I think, you know, colors is colored by nostalgia and childhood and all that stuff. But uh, I think also ignores the fact that like people don't just stay the same their entire lives. Um, and that's kind of what I personally enjoyed by the newest star Wars trilogy is that, you know the originals were kind of fantastical in a way, and these kind of feel more grounded, at least in, in in terms of human emotion. Um, We're seeing the character arcs. I think the 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 emotional arcs of the characters, I think, are way more complex than they've been in Star Wars previously.
0: Yeah, and I, for people who were like, "Oh my gosh, that's like you know hashtag not my Luke," I'm like, the entire first movie, he's just kind of a whiny weird dude why would you why would you be shocked like that he's like this again i don't know
1: right yeah i mean like luke is luke has been luke and like the thing is like we're all i think where everyone is painted by nostalgia just because you see the character arcs and where they actually end up but you know like life is full of stories it's like movies we see movies all the time it's easy to kind of compartmentalize your life into little stories and chunks but at the end of the day like you know there's so many things that happen over the course of a lifetime that who knows you know and uh, that's partially, that's part of why I like um, The Last Jedi the most is like, it, it kind of teaches us that Luke is human, you know, like, even though he, uh, even though he is this grand hero, you know, in the eyes of so many people, he's still a, a human being. And uh, I, I think that part, that kind of bring the mythology of Luke Skywalker back around in The Last Jedi. And then, you know, him realizing that he is human and him acknowledging that he's human makes him more of a hero at the end of the day. Um that's part, personally, I love that message in The
0: Last Jedi. The, the most annoying debate clearly surrounds Rey and the, the the Mary Sue stuff and that kind of stuff. Let, let me ask you something from the mythology I can't quite figure out. I don't know where this notion on the internet arose that to use the Force, to wield the Force effectively, you have to be of some kind of weird lineage. Like, growing up, I never thought Obi-Wan Kenobi
1: Came from some important family, or yeah. Something, like, right? and
0: I know it's complicated with like the the blood test stuff from *Phantom Menace* and and the stuff he was experimenting with on in the prequels. But I just always thought you open your mind to it and you happen to be good at it, like knock yourself out. Is that the way you interpret it, or am I like? Because I, I don't know why I don't know why people are fixated on this idea of like it's so unrealistic she can use the force. I'm like, well, I don't know, Luke, look like, got a a crash course in it. In, in five minutes and blew up the Death Star, like right. When like, Anakin
1: Skywalker was a kid who blew up the trade fed <laughs> <shit. Like, laughs> right? Like it's, it's 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 also a movie. Like who cares about the yeah. constraints of reality? Like I go to the movies to like to you know un- check out from reality for a couple of hours and like enjoy this grand like uh, the grand spectacle that is Star Wars. Like that's why I I love those movies and like. I you know I personally don't really care about the speculation online because you know I feel like every single time a movie comes out we're proven time and time again that the speculation just doesn't matter. It just never matters right. uh, and, it, and and and, it, and it excuse people's perspective or expectations heading into the movie too so like I don't know I personally like I like checking into those to see like oh what are people talking about what are the, what's the latest crazy rumor uh, that people are talking about? but I personally like don't take any stock in it I, I try to go into those movies with. No expectation because at the end of the day, like, I have no control over how the movie is going to be made. So, like, what's the point in trying to, you know, impose my own sense of what I think Star Wars should be onto the movie and, you know, be disappointed when it's not exactly what I want it to be?
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned going in cold or, or without expectations. Rise of Skywalker, like, is coming out in an era where... It's really hard to avoid spoilers, just given the clickbait headlines and you know how how quickly information disseminates on platforms. That said, like, are you someone who will watch the trailers or will not get thrown off if you run into a rumor, or do you really try to like block it all out?
1: No, I I mean like honestly, like I'm on all the Reddit forums, like I see everything. Oh, okay, like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm I see absolutely everything, but I just like don't take any stock in any of it. You know, like I take it as like a mild honestly, like, amusement more than anything. Like, oh, this would be, like, a fun thing. Like, what did this crazy thing happen? But, like, yep. I don't actually expect any of it to ever
0: happen. <laughs> so, with that said, I mean, I, we're not going to spoil it for our audience, but, like, it, it, clearly, I've I've run into some of the, like, the Reddit stuff, too. You know, lots of speculation. I mean, a, a, and, and they've already kind of conceded they're bringing, they're, they're going to run the Emperor back to a certain degree, although it's up for debate exactly how. The, the The initial storytelling choices that they've hinted at, um. And, and even the title, like the rise of Skywalker. Clearly, they they're they're giving a, a wink and a nod to people who are pissed that Luke was killed off in the last one. The Return of the Emperor. How do you, how do you greet how they're trying to juggle the nostalgia for the originals with advancing the story forward to ultimately end this new trilogy.
1: Uh. Like. And my my honest answer is like I don't put any stock in the trailer in terms of trying to frame my expectations for the story because right. you know. Force Awakens like everyone thought John Boyega was going to be the Jedi because he was the guy with the lightsaber right? <laughs> right like like i trailers i just think are are fun for hype and nothing else because you know when when the last jedi trailer came out the last time around people were talking about oh Lucas the last jedi and that's it and like that was very clearly not the message of that movie right like luke says it himself um and so I don't know. Like, for me, trailers are fun because they're, you know, you get to see the first glimpses of the movie, but, like, I really try, again, like, I really try not to take any stock from it or try to predict anything off of it other than, like, oh, cool, Palpatine will be in in some form, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I do think people who go down those YouTube holes, like, building the mythology of it in their heads, that's where you get people that get fired up about Snoke not mattering much or not being the first Jedi or whatever, and it's like... Who cares? No one even knew the Emperor's name, like, in the first ones. Like, why are you upset? Exactly.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Like, like, sure, Snoke was built up in the trailers to be something, but just because he was built up in the trailers doesn't mean he's actually important, you know? Like, (laughs) if if, if we'd watched the trailer for Get Out, right, and it had kind of given away the story, like, what's the fun in that, right? Like, (laughs) there's no point in watching movies if the trailers are going to give away the entire story.
0: Well, let's talk about memorabilia, because when you said we, we started talking about uh, you know it's Star Wars as a topic, you said you, you, you do collect Star Wars memorabilia. Let me start by asking you, how do you define memorabilia? Because when I go to, I, I was kind of hunting around some sites, looking at things. It seems like there's a couple of different classifications in terms of just like fun collectibles, also like the autograph stuff or, or pieces from sets. So wh- what do you gravitate toward when you think about this world and, the, and, and, and what you're looking for?
1: Uh I personally uh you know, just like small things like posters and that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff is great. Like whenever the Force Friday stuff happens at Target, you know, during uh during the Star Wars movie promo runs, like I always like like going over there and picking out small, small things. Um I've gotten uh the last couple of years I I've picked up two helmets. So I have a Kylo Ren helmet and a Poe Dameron helmet. That's um cool. And uh, they're just, like, cool, like, little relic decorative pieces to have. and uh, Like authentic-style
0: like, helmets or, like, like a toy? Um, so so the,
1: so the Poe Dameron helmet is a Black Series helmet, which is more of a toy, and the Kylo Ren helmet is, like, an authentic, oh, wow. uh, like, helmet replica. that It doesn't have any of the moving, moving like, face mask things, but it's it's awesome. And, you know, it's actually, ironically enough, an incredibly good investment that holds up its value. So, like, there's kind of a two-pronged decision there. <laughs> um, because, like... This kind of stuff, it maintains value. And if you one day don't want it anymore, you can sell it and recoup most of your money. Like, that's that's a reality of collecting this kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and so, you know, for me, like, I just like having them around because it just reminds me of my childhood, you know. Yeah. And uh, just like being, you know, imagination and um, I don't know. They're just like fun little things to have around the house. And uh, I've I've always kind of been a, a collector, especially with like the things that I care about, like in my big fandoms. Um, and so, uh, it's, it's just like, it's stuff that like reminds me of my childhood and who I am and, you know, hope, hopefully never forget who I used to be. So All right, now
0: are you a, and I might not be framing this up correctly, but are, are you more of a completist, like someone who kind of gets your eye on a certain set and wants to collect those things? Or are you someone who just, it sounds like you're more driven just by sense of personal taste and style.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a hundred percent. It is. I'm more just like accumulating stuff that likes kind of for me when i'm shopping for stuff um you know regardless of whether that's like a a bag or a star wars helmet or whatever like if i see something and it, like i look at it and it immediately speaks to me i usually try to get it um as you know you know factoring all the financial factors and whatever but like you know if if i see something that like uh you know i i, I more accumulate things that like you know have some sort of memory or uh you know if i go somewhere i like to you know try to try to find things that remind me of things like i like to you know accumulate things that have a little story behind them.
0: right no I, I i totally can relate to that now here million dollar question here how much stuff do you have how much
1: i i honestly don't have that much stuff it's kind of been a, a relatively recent development because like you know up until you know, three years ago like i was a college student who didn't have more than a <laughs> couple hundred bucks in my bank account so like yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I have a couple lightsaber like hilts now, which are cool. I have like one of the Luke Skywalker ones and the um or the uh you know the Anakin Skywalker, Luke Skywalker, Ray lightsaber, and the Kylo Ren crossblade lightsaber. Um, and every once in a while, like my friends will come over and I'll take them out, just like fuck around with them, and it's uh it's pretty fun.
0: <laughs> so let me ask you, like, what of the th- items that you have, like, what's what's like your most meaningful, like, what what what's something that that you just Either and it might it might not be the most expensive or the most valuable, but just the one that you just kinda of look at and go, Oh my god, I'm so glad I had that.
1: Um, I would say it's probably the two lightsabers because those are the the two that like started me actually, you know, starting to pick up bigger items like the helmets and stuff. So I went to Disney World with my with my family um two years ago now, I think. And it was just like it was a great family vacation. And uh it was kind of the first time that like I, I paused after starting my job um and like took a break. Uh, and, uh, it was just like an awesome time. And I, you know, I, I, saw the Star Wars stuff at the store and I was like, this is something that I've always wanted. Um, like I might as well, cause I'm enjoying this vacation with my family and, uh, I want something to remember it by. So that's, that's part of why I had those. And, uh, you know, it's also part of why I, uh, started just kind of picking up more Star Wars stuff because it's a lot of fun.
0: You know, growing up, you know, I had a bunch of those like Kenner toys. Um, yeah, from the back in the day, and my cousins had the Millennium Falcon, and like we, I was never going to get like that. I think I had like an A Wing or something. I was like the best my parents were going to do. Did did you have something either growing up or now that you felt like was your most coveted item that you just would like? It's always in your mind, and if you if you ever run into it, it's like I don't care the price, like, I just got to have it.
1: No, I, I mean, like I for me, like I don't have a specific toy or anything that like stood out to me. I had, like a handful of you know, like Obi-Wan, Luke, whatever action figures and stuff, but like nothing, nothing that like, uh, like I, am not really fueled by like the nostalgia. Like I've seen the documentaries on the Kenner action figures and like, I'm personally not that drawn to them. Hmm.
0: Um, how come just because,
1: um, mostly just because like, it's, I don't know, it's not for, it's not for my generation. Right. Like I understand, (laughs) I understand the nostalgia and why people care about them, but it's also just like, not, it's not something that speaks to me personally. Um, As much as I appreciate their history and and how much they've meant for literally the history of the toy industry, Um, like beyond that, like oh, it's I appreciate them as like a cultural important item, but like it's not something I personally want to collect.
0: Let let the past die. Kill it if you have to, right?
1: Yeah, for me, like I just want (laughs) to. I want to try to. I want to try to find things that like you know, or I I feel like there's a lot of. uh, I've been reading a lot about how like the millennial Gen Z generation has this like massive focus on individuality. And I feel like very much a part of that and just kind of how I approach my, my collection and
0: stuff. Yeah. And you kind of talked again, when we were kind of uh, choosing a topic, you kind of talked about how you're just a passionate fan overall that you'll, that yeah. and I, I'm curious, like what, what fuels your fandom? What things are you drawn to or, or you know, like myself, I'm kind of drawn to a wide array of stuff, but when I, for what, and I can't really explain or define why certain things I just go down the rabbit hole on, so how, what, what really fuels you and, 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 and what are the kind of factors that draw you in?
1: Um, I think like there's a variety of things and it, and it depends on what kind of fandom we're talking about. Cause like, you know, I'm a passionate fan of a lot of music artists and, you know, directors and, uh, and it's a variety of things. I mean, it, it can totally, de- I think, I think kind of the common denominator is probably like the strength of storytelling, um, you yeah. a lot of it. Uh, so like with, a lot of my favorite musicians are also amazing lyricists and can tell you know amazing stories you know ask chance the rappers acid rap like anderson pack uh kendrick lamar like just i mean just the writing of it is is what draws me in um, for me like uh, something like bts has been so fascinating to follow just because um of the message that they're trying to spread not only within korea and the united states but around the world like all, all that stuff i think is just so interesting. So, like. It can be, you know, any variety of reasons that that kind of pulled me in.
0: Yeah, BTS is a great example of a, a group that, you know, I mean, clearly like you know, international success. But it, it's I always find it fascinating when when these overseas acts come here and you see the fandom. And I think being exposed, to, young people being exposed to that can really open their eyes to a whole new genre of music. I mean, it, maybe that's their entree into oh my gosh, I'd never heard of K-pop or I didn't understand like all these other things that are out there. W- specifically with them but i guess even more so just what do you think about in terms of the role that kind of getting getting exposed to pop culture can play and, and helping you define your curiosity and personality and just develop your sense of self especially as a young person
1: yeah i mean something that i uh i i'm constantly just drawn to is just like stories from people who are just different from me and i feel like for most people in the world like the, the best access you can get from, to people who are different from you is through pop culture and through movies and through television and through YouTube and through podcasts and through music and whatever. Um, I, think, I think, like, you know, pop culture is stuff at its best, uh, and there's a lot of stuff that is crap and is horrible. Um, but pop <laughs> culture stuff at its best, I think, kind of makes us realize that we're all kind of the, the same at, 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 it, you know, at each other's heart. Um, we're all just people. Um, and then it also kind of helps us, like, figure out how this, at least for young people, it helps me navigate, like, how the world works and, uh, and figuring out how to, you know, make sense of all this stuff that's, you know, the life of a a, a young 20-something and just trying to figure out, like, how to, you know, pay my taxes and uh, <laughs> just live a, live, a, live a put-together life.
0: Totally. So, as we wrap here, let me just cycle back to Star Wars. It feels like Disney is... Wrestling mentally with how much Star Wars is too much Star Wars. Um, now, personally, I liked Solo. Did you like Solo?
1: I liked Solo for what it was because I didn't really put any expectations on it.
0: Right, right. I in fact, I kind of wished it had just been that train heist movie and then not, not even tried to layer on more stuff. I but I thought the vibe was cool. I I saw it on a plane and then I went back to it. Uh, I, I watched it again on a different plane like months later and I was like, yeah, whatever. Like yeah, <laughs> what, what do you, you want?
1: It, like? For me, I just tried to expect a smaller Star Wars story. Um, not something that was trying to change the universe. And like, if you just kind of buy in and try it, you know, enjoy it as an action movie for two hours and, you know, seeing the Millennium Falcon do the Kessel run and you see Donald Glover be Donald Glover, like, and Alden Aaron, like I thought was great personally. Um, I don't know. I I personally just didn't put too much uh, expectation on so, and I enjoyed it for what it was.
0: Yeah, totally. I, I, but it does seem like since then, Disney's been cautious about. I mean, we haven't heard nothing else about the Ryan Johnson expected trilogy, which may or may not be completely gone now. That sounds like the Game of Thrones creators are going to make a new trilogy, but that's not for a few years. Do you? Are you someone who wants to see more of a Marvel Marvelification of of Star Wars? Where, yeah, sure, hit me with whatever you got. If if I don't like it, I'll just. Uh, forget it or do you do you like the specialness of when these things come out there's a little bit of distance and they feel like a larger event because of that
1: something that I've honestly like begun to appreciate about Star Wars is that uh each Star Wars movie feels very different and like each generation of Star Wars movie feels very different um and, and I think the variety in that is so interesting and and Star Wars is also like one of the only if not the only like major franchise actually no avatar is technically a franchise too but whatever
0: um <laughs> when we ever get those I, films yeah
1: <laughs> um so it, it's one of the only franchises that doesn't have like a source material and marvel just has a lot more of that which makes sense because there's you know decades and decades of comic books um i don't know i personally i personally am really really excited for the mandalorian coming out on uh, on disney plus yeah um I'm just, you know, ever the, the, the Lion King stuff is, is getting great reviews and Jon Favreau, uh, you know, I I have a lot of trust in his kind of sensibility and being able to kind of balance, like making a good movie with also trying to appeal to as many people as possible, which is what, you know, these Star Wars movies are trying to do. Um, and, uh, I, I just think that the show has the potential to, there, there's a gap right now. There's not really a cultural discourse, you know, the same way that Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, where there's not that show anymore because game of thrones just ended and like i think the show potentially you know given the scale and the names and the money being pumped in and um just as we kind of move towards more streaming stuff this show might have a have the chance to at least try to jump into the to the race to be that next big you know everyone watches show
0: right well, well, hey, thank you for giving me all the time. I really appreciate it. It's, it's fun to talk about it. It's really fun to hear about your relationship with, with, with Star Wars. Are you an opening night guy? Are you going to be there dressed up, like super excited? Or are you just going to be, hey, I'll get to Rise of Skywalker when I'm not working 16-hour days or whatever?
1: Uh, so, I mean, like the last, I mean, all these sequel trilogy movies, I've been an opening night guy. Um, I try actually, so I I, I don't dress up or anything. I usually wear like a, you know, a, a t-shirt or yeah. a hoodie or whatever. But I, I like going with uh, to Star Wars with my sister on opening night. That's uh, that's when we has been uh, trying to like keep up as like a little family tradition to like keep it within the family. So, yeah, um, it's
0: it's funny. I have a six year old daughter and and she's seen glimpses of For- Force Awakens and she likes it. But my uh, my wife still thinks she's like too young to go see one of these in the theater. And I'm like, I don't know. I was like five and my mom took me to Return of the Jedi. So like, sure. Yeah,
1: I, I feel I feel like the the big like heavy stuff like it'll
0: completely go over the head. Right.
1: <laughs> or most kids, you know. Yeah.
0: When the drama comes, gunshots shot, Never been a fillers look diller, but I know true killers, criminals and murderers, Pittsburgh stealers, shinetown animals, bears and all ghouls, no cats in Minnesota that's feared like tea wolves. You scary bats like they played for the dungeons. And We are back. In the sports world, athletes, coaches, media, they all, you know, do interesting things that show off their personalities. And then we, the media, the hardcore crazos, we tell them. Don't be interesting. You're being a distraction. No one wants a locker room distraction. That's ridiculous. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, I end by telling you what's been distracting me this week. And I want to talk a little bit about Blair Witch. That's right. Blair Witch, the movie. So I'm reading a book called Best Movie Year Ever by Brian Raftery. Very interesting book. Talks about 1999 as a really pivotal year in cinema for a lot of different reasons, from from the you know, trends that kind of came out of it to different types of films, like Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, like something like that, where it just kind of gives you a snapshot of all these different filmmakers, their motivations, how they broke through, that kind of stuff. It's, it, it's fascinating. And shout out to uh, former guest Sean Fennessy from The Ringer, who had Brian on his podcast, The Big Picture, and they talked about uh, what went into the book, that kind of stuff. Now, one of the first chapters is on the Blair Witch, and I, clearly, everyone knows the story about that movie, filmed for, for for peanuts, uh, sort of an improvisational long form trial and tribulation in the woods uh, for the actors. That was just sort of like gradually kind of caught on camera. the the viral marketing campaign around Blair Witch that that really sort of invented a new way to talk about movies and 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 stir buzz uh, for an independent picture. I, I still remember reading the print ad, I think, in like a Rolling Stone or a Maxim or something that that, that kind of laid out the timeline and made me think it was real. It's insane. But I don't want to talk about that Blair Witch. <laughs> I want to talk about Blair Witch 2 Book of Shadows, <laughs> okay? Because <laughs> that movie is batshit insane. And it's fascinating. Another shout out to Sean Fennessy who just he had been talking to the director of that movie on on Big Picture, uh, again, not to be a big Sean stan here, but... The more I think about Blair Witch, the more I just inevitably start thinking about Blair Witch too, because it's like just this weird little enigma of a movie that I can't kind of get out of my head. And I want to start with this. I don't think it's a good movie, but I think it's a 100% a movie that is worth revisiting to try to figure out if it could have been a really good movie. And I I don't know if that will make sense. <laughs> Far be it for me to never make sense on the show. But as someone who wrote about film, you know, was a movie critic in a newspaper um, for several years, there's something to me about like the big swings and misses that films take. And, and, and Blair Witch 2 was like, the further you peel back the onion a little bit, and I'm really mixing metaphors, like big swing on the onion to peel back, blah, 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 whatever. The more you look into the story behind the movie, the more interesting I think it is and the more it demands further examination. For example, director had a vision, wanted to do this like meta-commentary where the original Blair Witch was fiction, but now people coming into the town and like doing Blair Witch tourism and stuff was creating a new opportunity for... Uh, either group psychosis or supernatural activity or whatever. I mean, it's open to interpretation. And that's a really fascinating way to approach a sequel to something like this. Like everyone knew going into the second one that the first one had been staged. It was a huge phenomenon. You weren't going to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. So you might as well just run with that story. And that's really cool. Now, it does not (laughs) pan out (laughs) and work out the way the director intended. But again... The studio apparently like recut a lot of this movie, added in a lot of stuff at the end of the line that just to try and like make it more gory, make it more mainstream. And I rem- I remember sitting in the theater for that movie and being like, this just is legitimately like a lot of stuff got stitched together, and that no one really kind of knows how to tie a bow around this thing. And I, I I really like movies like that that you you the viewer are trying to piece together okay, was this kind of like the second attempt to revive the first draft of this movie? And then here over here is like this kind of like last ditch effort, let's go film this scene in the director's backyard, this like orgy murder scene uh, and in at the end. So that's interesting too, just kind of piece together in your head, like, like what's going on? Three, there's probably never been a, gr- a greater microcosm of like late 90s, early 2000s, turn of the millennia, everything. <laughs> Like just these crazy characters who are just that are total cliched archetypes of a of a person that probably existed during that time, but like definitely existed in Hollywood's like in the moment analysis of what our time means. Like the the Wiccan woman who says she's misunderstood and, and witches are persecuted. There's like the hardcore goth who scares everyone and is like a badass, but really has a tender heart. There's like the dudes who look like they fell out of all the CW slash WB sitcoms at once. There's like the the clothes. It it is so funny to watch this and to just try to kind of laugh at like very final destination-y too. Like another movie that like when you watch it and just every character is dressed in a certain way that you go, Man, I can, I could go right back. To like the mall where somebody walked into an Abercrombie and Fitch and bought all these clothes, and then went right to the hot topic and bought all her clothes, and right to the whatever else, um, just utterly hilarious. Finally, th- and th- one last thing for, for about the film, I, I really believe the director tried to weave in a lot of like subliminal messaging and imagery in the movie that doesn't work, that's like super odd, ob- like literally someone will close a door and when the door hits a certain angle, like a face will appear or like you'll see windows have like words written on them <laughs> and there are these weird Easter eggs and maybe they, they, maybe in the moment they were building to some sort of like kind of subliminal payoff but it, it's almost like all the stuff that like they say Stanley Kubrick and The Shining like tortured over. The fact that like you, you 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 lose sight of where you are in the hotel because there are impossible windows, and they go in one place, and then they the, the kind of go in back another place, and it's not like it was before. But you really can't tell unless you're studying the hell of it. It's like that only if there was one weekend to try and come up with all the ideas and make them real. Because <laughs> you can see them so clearly. So you're just sitting there, and you're like, these two characters are talking, and the word no is written on the window. <laughs> and maybe there's a plot device for that that i'm not seeing i haven't watched the movie itself in a long time but maybe there's like a like a plot device that that explains that but i'm pretty sure that was just like like an attempt at subliminal <laughs> messaging and then finally i mean marilyn manson <laughs> all these other musical acts of that era and it, too much. I'm not even gonna get into Marilyn Manson. Don't just please don't at me with your Marilyn Manson defenses. I, I will listen to your Nine Inch Nails defenses. I'm just I'm, i I do not want your Marilyn Manson defenses. So look, read the Brian Raftery book, uh, best movie year ever, 1999. Uh, pretty cool stuff there. Also, I just think you know, pick out like an old movie that you wrote off at first. Pop it in and see. If, you know, see if there's if there's some fun to be had. I, I just, I, for whatever reason, whenever I'm thinking about Blair Witch, whenever I see a retrospective, you know, it's 20 years later, whenever I see a retrospective of the movie that changed the game, I just instantly think, I, yeah, I get that story. I want to talk. what happened with Blair Witch 2? <laughs> Who bought all these outfits? Who wrote no on that window? <laughs> anyway, anyway, that is our show for this week. Let's end with some shout outs. Big shout out to June Lee. Go follow his work on ESPN. Go, uh, he he, you know, I, I tracked him down right after the MLB All Star Game. He was coming back from from there. A lot of fun to have him on. A lot of fun to talk Star Wars. You know, send me your rank, rank the movies, and send them to me. Uh, I would love to debate those rankings. I'd have Solo higher up on my list than you probably are comfortable with, but whatevs, man. You do you, bro. You do you. And uh lots of stuff cooking, you know, we're, we're we're hitting the summer running. I got a lot of folks that are uh that interviews I'm taping this week and next. So, going to try to spit these uh shows out at you fairly regularly over the summer. You know, it's yard work season. Got people out there mulching, people out there uh fixing stuff, uh cleaning out gutters. So, I want to give you some 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 content for that. So, follow us on Twitter, Just Not Sports, on Instagram, Just Not Sports, and in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal Rapper Extraordinaire. Booty Rappers. Stay booty.